How are you guys holding up? Sounds very enthusiastic. Did you guys ever get bothered by the, the time change? Sometimes it does weird stuff to us. Um, like yesterday, I was out driving and uh, had a lot of errands I was trying to get accomplished, scrambling quickly. And it just seemed like everybody I was behind was not driving very fast. And I finally got so irritated. I don't know if you ever talked to other drivers. Um, but I said, what is the deal? Don't you people realize we're going to lose an hour tonight? Uh, anyway, just something about the time change kind of gets us out of sorts, I guess. And uh, I'm working on being a little bit less cranky about it. You know, today we're going to be continuing in the book of Jude, and we're going to see some really good, helpful things that Jude is talking about and, and combating false teaching. It's amazing, isn't it, that, that God has packed so much for us in this little book that could be read in five minutes or less. And we've been taking the time to just kind of look a little bit more intently at it. And we're going to see in this particular passage of Scripture that Jude kind of shifts his focus from talking about the false teachers to talking about who we are as followers of Christ and what we can do to resist false teachings that we encounter. So we're calling this basic training this morning because as we make this shift, we're kind of getting into the mode of realizing there's some basic things that we must do. If you think about those of you that were in the military, you went off to basic training, and what that was like in preparation. I mean, you were there for a purpose, right? To learn some skills that would help you in dealing with the enemies that you were sure to face. And so this morning, we're going to see that there is an enemy, and we've seen that all through the book, and this enemy wreaks havoc. We've seen that as well. But interesting enough, in this passage of Scripture, we're going to be reminded that because there is an enemy that wreaks havoc, that is a confirmation of God's Word. And we're going to realize that we as Christians have been called to resist the enemy. We are critical to the resistance of this enemy. And then we'll ask ourselves at the very end, are we, are we failing at our mission? Or are we succeeding? There is an enemy, an enemy who wreaks havoc and confirms God's word. Look with me at Jude chapter, uh, Jude verses 17 and 18. We're going to go 17 through 21. If you want to pull out the Pew Bible, it's in, uh, on page 1910. It says, dear friends, again, this is that shift he's moving to. Dear friends, we're going to talk about that in a minute. It's such, such a great shift. Remember what the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ foretold. They said to you, in the last times, there will be scoffers who will follow their ungodly desires. He's, he's been talking about that. These are the people who divide you, who follow mere natural instincts, and do not have the Spirit. Now, in this shift, I don't want you to miss this very important dynamic. He has been talking about false teachers, helping Christians to realize what they were about, what they do. And then he says, dear friends, that's in the New, uh, in the new International Version, but other translations, and the literal word there is beloved. Now, you're going to love this word because beloved is the same word that is used in Matthew once, Mark twice, and Luke one time, four different times in the Gospels to describe Jesus. This was the same term that God used when he looked down on Jesus and said, this is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. Jude is throwing out a very important statement there. 
He used to say, that's who you are. God sees you as he saw his son. You are the beloved. You're getting beat up by all these false teachers and all these false doctrines and the persecution that results from that. Be of good cheer. You are God's beloved. If you have started on this book, and just curiosity, how many people have already finished this? Great. <laughs> just humble, you don't recognize you already read it. But well, how many of you have read the foreword? Okay, a few more hands. Well, that, that's in the foreword right here. And this guy who wrote the book was a, a co-pastor with Mark Dever, and Dever writes the foreword to, to say, that's how we always greeted the conversation, every, every, the congregation every Sunday. He would say, beloved, beloved, reminding them of who they were in Christ. How important is that word? We wouldn't be here today were it not for that word. That was the turning point word in the Reformation. See, Martin Luther felt as if God loathed him because of his sin. And it wasn't in the New Testament that he found this word. It's crazy when you think about this. But Martin Luther's pivotal change came when he came to the Song of Solomon, verse six, chapter 6, verse 3. And he heard the words, I am my beloved. And he heard this statement to say, I am loved by God, not loathed by God. And as Jude turns to this, he's driving us back to verse 3, which is that theme verse about contending for the faith. And so he says, how are we as the beloved, the followers of Christ, how are we to contend for the faith against these false teachers? He's basically saying what we all know. We need more than a warning. We, we need some tools. We, we need a plan. Tools to recognize the difference between truth and error. That's what Hebrews 5.14 talks about maturity. Recognizing the difference between right and wrong and then doing what is right. And then he gives us this imperative. Remember. Remember. That's a prevalent thought in the Old Testament as well as the New Testament. Time and time again, God would drive his people back to say, remember what I have done. Why do we do that? Because we don't naturally remember. Don't you wish you were better at remembering names? Don't you wish you were better at remembering times and seasons and, and dates and important information? Don't you wish you were better at remembering Scripture? We don't just naturally remember. We have to work at it. So he gives us his imperative to remember. Remember what you were told by the apostles. What the apostles would teach would ultimately become Scripture, what was written down. Remember what you already know. Remember these things. Remember those who have gone before you. Remember in Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1, it says, that great cloud of witnesses. Remember the great cloud of witnesses that have gone before us? Let that be a driving force that keeps you from succumbing to sin and following after Christ, because it says, keep your eyes fixed upon the Lord. He says, remember all this, because in the last times, what are the last times? That's the time between the first coming of Christ and the second coming of Christ. He says, dear friends, remember that in the last times there will be scoffers who follow after their own ungodly desires. What Judah's reminding us that there is an enemy, okay, we've got that. We spent weeks talking about that. 
But there will always be an enemy, and that's what's important for us to recognize. There will always be false teaching. That's not going to go away next year. It's not going to go away in the next generation. There will always be false teaching, and it will always be disastrous and destructive. So we must resist it. We are called as Christians to resist it. It's, it's always going to be there. It's relentless. It's like the waves that crash on the shore. It's like when you go to an escalator and the steps just keep popping up. That's the way false teaching will be. Just as there are a variety of dangers for our own families, there will always be dangers facing us in our faith. And he describes them again. It's as if you haven't already figured this out by now, but he goes back again. He's just, he, he, he sounds a little bit like a dad. You know how dads just repeat themselves over and over and over? You know, by the time you've raised two kids, you've raised 12 kids because you've said it over and over and over. And he goes back and he says it. There's scoffers. Who are these scoffers? They're the ones who, who they mock and disregard holiness. They're, they're irreverent. They're selfish. They're dismissive. They're condescending. They dismiss the authority of God's word. Saying that whatever you believe is fine. Believe whatever you want. Do whatever you want. But what happens when that takes place? It leads to divisions, and that's what he talks about. These are the people who divide you. Judah's giving a warning here. He said, don't let them in, and then get them out. He's that serious about the false teachers. Jesus noted that there's a broad way and a narrow way in the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapter 7, verses 13 and 14. There's a broad way, and there's a narrow way. And the false teachers are trying to say that there is a very broad way, and they mock the narrow way. You've got to be kidding. Really? You think Jesus is the only way? And they mock that. They're advocating an Autobahn. Any of you ever driven on the Autobahn over in Germany? You know, fun place. I, I wish I could. I wish I would have been on the Autobahn yesterday. Obviously, these people have never driven there. But what happens on the Autobahn? You know, you are able to drive, what are the rules? As fast as you want in unrestricted sections. Now, some places you have to slow down, but there are some sections. I mean, if you can open it up to 250 miles an hour, you go for it. There are no restrictions. And the false teachers are saying, there's not a narrow way, there's an autobahn. You just put the pedal down and you do whatever you want. And Jude is saying, those are the people that don't have the Spirit of God in them. Romans 8, 9 says, if, if you don't belong to Christ, you don't have the Spirit of God. And that's what he says. They don't have the Spirit of God. They don't have the capacity for holiness. They're spiritually dead. They deny him by the works of their lives. So there is an enemy who wreaks havoc. And there are three of the biggest false doctrines of today are addressed here. Three of the, three of the biggest false doctrines of our day are what? Who is Christ? And how do you gain salvation? And what is a church? And there's other things that would fall in for sure. And what is scripture? I think the three biggest ones are Christ and the church and salvation. Because we have people that say Christ is just, he was just a religious man. He was just a teacher. Salvation, you figure it out. Every man for his own. You believe sincerely, that's good enough. The church, uh, non-essential. If you think it's good, you go, but it's really not that important. And three of those doctrines uh, 
were completely checked off by a guy named Josh Harris. Have any of you gotten to Josh Harris in the book yet? Okay, none of you yet. All right, that's on page 63, so we kind of know where you are. Years ago, in the youth ministry here, we used a study called I Kissed Dating Goodbye by a young man named Josh Harris. He was very popular. He wrote books, had a tremendous following of Christians, was mentored by some very godly men, became a pastor early in his life. And so he is mentioned here on page 63 in the year 2008 when this book was written as the one who was following hard after Christ. But within 11 years, as a pastor, he would tell the world that he's now deconstructing his faith, saying that the doctrine of Christ, the doctrine of salvation, and the doctrine of church had all changed in his life. That's what happens when you embrace false teaching. It deconstructs things. It tears them down. Some of you like watching Fixer Upper. What does Chip like to do? It's demo day. It's always interesting when someone has a demo day with their faith. They never do it quietly. They want the whole world to look in, which reminds me that maybe they're more interested in people paying attention to them than what they really believe. So anyway, we're reminded that false doctrine wreaks havoc. And so there is an enemy that wreaks havoc, and God confirms that. This is a very interesting part of the message, because I want you to follow along uh, on some of the slides that you see up here. But he says, remember, remember that the apostles told us, remember that Jesus told us, they foretold us that there would be false teachers. Now, to just acknowledge that there's false teachers at some point, that they're already there, is not that impressive. But to say, in the future, there will be false teachers when they're not false teachers is pretty impressive. And we probably don't recognize how significant this is in confirming God's word. In Matthew chapter 7, uh, verses 15 through 23, Jesus was the very first one to say that there would be false teachers, wolves in sheep's clothes. And people have heard that outside of the church, but that's literally from the Sermon on the Mount. And he said, many will come in chapter 24, and they will deceive many. And this is before it happened. And so this helps us to be reminded that the scripture that talks about false teachers is actually confirming scripture. In Acts chapter 20, verses 29 through 30, Paul is speaking to the elders of Ephesus as he's headed back to Jerusalem. And he says, watch out because there'll be savage wolves that come into your midst. Maybe those wolves are the one that caused them to lose their first love that we read about in Revelation chapter 2. 1 Timothy chapter 4, verses 1 through 2. Paul says the Holy Spirit clearly says there will be deceiving spirits that are teaching things that are taught by demons. 2 Timothy 3, uh, verses 1 through 9. False teachers will be lovers of pleasure rather than God. They will have a form of godliness but deny its power. They will always be learning but never acknowledging the truth. 2 Peter 2, 1 through 3. And verses 12 through 22 in chapter 3 through 4 says, secretly, they will introduce destructive heresies. There will be many who will follow after their shameful ways. They have left the straight path, appealing to lustful desires, enticing others to join them, and mocking the second coming. 
1 John chapter 2, verses 18 through 23, and chapter 4, 1 through 3. They went out from among us. These false teachers, they were around us, but they went out from among us, and they denied who Jesus is and who God is. So he says, don't believe everything, but test the spirits to see if they're from God, because there will be, quote, many false prophets, only those who acknowledge Jesus as God are true. So friends, and I know I lost some of you in that process, but did you see what happened? Jude is saying, go back and see that Scripture is authoritative and true because it confirmed long ago what would happen and we're seeing now. So he says there's an enemy that must be resisted. You, dear friends, by building up yourselves in your most holy faith and praying in the Holy Spirit, keep yourselves in God's love as you wait for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ to bring you to eternal life, verses 20 and 21. There are no other entities outside of Christianity to stand for the truth of what Christ said in John 14, 26, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. There's no other entity. The government's not going to stand up for it. School system's not going to stand up for it. Your neighbors, maybe, I don't know. But the church is the entity called to stand up for this truth. So we must resist the attacks against this truth. Look at verse 21. It's an imperative. It says, keep. We have responsibility. We go back to verse 1, and it says that we are kept. God is keeping us for the time when Christ returns. We are kept. So our responsibility is to keep ourselves. God's keeping us. We're to keep ourselves. How? Through prayer and obedience. It's not an option. We must stay on the narrow path. He says to build upon what has already been built. What Jesus talked about at the end of the Sermon on the Mount, that firm foundation, not on sinking sand, but on the foundation of who Christ is. And we're critical to that resistance. You remember in the pandemic, we talked about essential workers? Who are the essential workers? Was the church essential? In some places in the country, didn't seem to be. But Jude is saying, you're essential. We are critical to that resistance. So keep yourselves in God's love as you wait for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ to bring you to eternal life. Friends, you're essential to the work in the kingdom of God. Keep yourself in God's love. How do you keep yourself in God's love? Through obedience. Go back to John chapter 14 and 15, and 15 and 10, chapter 15, verse 10. If we love God, we will keep his commandments. Obedience keeps us in the love of God. Any relationship will tell you that. As we work with one another, we find that our relationships work much better. When we are in compliance with God, we are staying in his love. It's reading and applying God's word. Letting it transform the way we think, the way that we act, and the way that we react. Sometimes, the greatest proof of our Christianity is not how we think or act, but how we react to life's situations. The best way to know the truth, we learn that from the, those who study counterfeit. We've talked about this many times. How do they study counterfeit? 
by studying the real thing so well that they can spot a counterfeit. They don't look for all of the false ways to do counterfeiting. They just know what the real thing looks like. And if they look at something that's not the real thing, they can spot it. And that's what he's talking about here. Interesting enough, false teaching has actually helped the church to clarify doctrine. See, as Jude was dealing with false teaching, he was helping these Christians to actually clarify their doctrine about Christ, about salvation, about the church, about the end times, to help them think more clearly. Scripture is our authority. Agreed? Now, I know it's a slow day. I'm just, just you're, 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 I'm already feeling that, that lull. We're going to get up and do calisthenics here in a second, but just... <laughs> But let's be reminded of that. Let's not fall asleep on that. Scripture is our authority. Now, I want to cycle back to what I talked about last week because there have been several people that have come and, you know, okay, do we throw Andy Stanley under the bus? And, you know, is he a heretic? Well, there's guys on the internet that call him a heretic. I'm not calling him a heretic yet, and I'm still listening. I, li- I listened to him for probably a couple hours this week as I drive around. I, I, l- I listen to podcasts twice the speed so I can hear more of them quicker as I'm driving around. And I was, uh, you know, I, he's very brilliant, very insightful. I'm just listening cautiously. And that's all that I was saying last week. I wasn't saying, don't ever listen to him again. I was just saying, be cautious because of some of the statements he said about scripture. I, I hear his heart and some of the things he talks about. And I feel like he's trying to do the right thing. I just think he's He's going about it in a dangerous way of fostering some seeds of doubt about Scripture to try to prove some of his points. And it's so important for us to recognize how significant Scripture is, and that's why Jude says, go back, remember what we know to be true in Scripture. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 16 through 17 says that all Scripture is inspired by God. It's not just a book that somebody wrote. It's inspired by God, and what we have is a composite of what God said. This is critical. This is what's going to go in the book. It's inspired by God for what? For teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness. Why? Not so that we'll be more informed, so that we'll be transformed and prepared for every good work. And so it's important for us to keep ourselves in God's Word. As we keep ourselves in God's Word, we have a greater likelihood of obeying what God has called us to do. And to pray, to pray like Jesus. How did Jesus pray in the garden? Thy will be done, not mine, but your will be done. That's one of the hardest prayers to pray. Prayers to pray, isn't it? Your will be done, not my will. The hardest person that I contend with in my life is me. That's why Paul would say, pray at all times and in all ways. And then notice what Jude says here. As he draws it to, we're almost to the conclusion. The next two weeks, we'll wrap this up. As you wait, be ready, be resisting, be prepared, be trained. As you do what? As you wait. God didn't choose to just take us up into heaven after we confessed our faith in Christ. So we are all in a waiting pattern. And he says, as you wait for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ to bring you to eternal life. What does that waiting look like? Colossians chapter 3, verse 1. He would say, set your sights. Paul would say, set your sights on the realities of heaven where Christ is seated at the right hand. Let your mind be filled with heaven. Don't just think about the things here on earth. 
How many of you have a, a list that you make every day to kind of what you're going to do? Okay, not many list, reader, uh, list makers, not many readers. Uh, what else can we talk about? Okay, so let's say, you let's say you do make a list, and you put on the list. How many of you put on your list? Wait, wait, wait. Today I'm waiting on the Lord. And what does it mean? Is it passive? Like, hey, nothing better to do. It's active waiting that he's talking about. You're saying Titus chapter 2, verse 13, this is the blessed hope that we have. It is actively imagining that day in which Christ will return. It's Hebrews 12, 2, following up on that other verse, it's keeping our eyes focused on Christ, recognizing that one day he will come back, as Paul would talk about in 1 Timothy chapter 6, and twice John would talk about in Revelation 17, 19, as King of Kings and Lord of Lords. It's the anticipation of the visible mercy of God being demonstrated to us when we depart from this reality and all of a sudden we stand in the reality of the perfected Christ and then we realize, whoa, I should have put this on my list. It's overwhelming in what we experience. And we're waiting with that anticipation and the Bible tells us that we can anticipate that as if it's already happened because it has because of what Christ has done. There's a great visual of that right now as you see the, the spring plants just coming full of life and turning green. Do you remember a few months ago what they looked like? They looked what? They looked dead. And you looked at them and, you know, just imagine if you had been from another planet and you were dropped down in the middle of winter and your, your task was to make the earth a better place you would have pulled out your chainsaw and started saying, well, we've got to get rid of this. It's dead, and this is dead, and this is dead. But all of those plants were sitting there, and they were waiting with anticipation of when the climate would change and the environment would be just right, and all of a sudden, then they would come into full bloom. One day will be like that. One day as we anticipate. So in the, in the interim time, we stay connected to Christ, like, like branches to the trunk, to say it may not look like it's spring right now, but one day, one day, spring is coming. A little boy was standing on a sidewalk in the middle of the block, and this was, I read this story probably three decades ago from another generation, a much safer society and culture. Elementary age boy standing in the middle of a block at a sidewalk. Older man walks by and he says, Son, what are you doing? He says, I'm waiting for the bus. The man laughed at him and said, well, son, you're at the wrong place. If you want to catch the bus, you're going to have to go down to the next block where there's a bus stop. The little boy didn't thank him. He didn't respond. He just stood there. He said, boy, do you understand what I'm telling you? He said, yes, sir. And what are you going to do? Well, I'm just going to wait right here. The man got a little bit irritated. Smart aleck kid started walking away. He said, boy, you're not going to catch the bus unless you walk down to the other block at the bus stop. And he turned away and he started walking down the street and all of a sudden he heard screeching brakes. He turned around and lo and behold, the bus was stopping in the middle of the block. Door opened up. Little boy started to step in. Then he yelled down the street, my dad's the bus driver. 
You see, friends, that's how we feel sometimes. We're standing in the middle of the block, and everybody's saying, you're not even close. The bus isn't going to stop for you. And we say, oh, yeah, oh, yeah, our Heavenly Father, he's the bus driver. So, friend, are you helping? Are you helping this mission to resist and stand strong so that truth will prevail? Are you helping or are you hurting the mission? In Matthew chapter 20, uh, Matthew chapter 12, verse 30, Jesus said, if you're not for me, you're against me. We like to think, well, I like neutral. But Jesus didn't give us neutral. He said, you're either in drive going forward or you're in reverse going away. Where are we? Friend, are you with Christ today? Do you know that God loves you? And he's created you to have an everlasting relationship with him. But because of our sin, because of the false teachings that we have embraced to rebel against God, we are separated from God in desperate need of his forgiveness. But thankfully, Jesus can make us right with God. All we have to do is humbly acknowledge our sin and turn away from it and turn towards God. Completely surrender our life to him and we will find eternal and abundant life. If you've never done that, I want to invite you to pray and receive Christ right now. And again, if you're already Christian, you know, as I was sitting here with little Buffalo, one of the things that I was thinking about as we were singing, God is so good, I turned to him and said, I want you to know that God is so good. Who are you praying for to know that they realize God is so good and loves them? and wants to have a relationship with them. So let's pray for that person or those in your life that you're praying for. Let's pray together. God, we, we thank you that you have included us in your plan. The gospel is your plan to rescue us from sin, the power and the penalty of sin. And as we read your word, even now, we recognize that those of us that have received Christ have been rescued from the, the penalty of sin. Your word tells us how we can be rescued from the power of sin so it doesn't dominate us, so we can resist it and stand strong. We can stand for truth in a culture that seems to be moving so far away from it. Lord, we're reminded of what we said just a moment ago from your word. We're either for you or against you. And if anybody listening now has never committed their life to Christ, I pray that they would recognize that they are standing against you but to know that they can change that right now by acknowledging you with a simple prayer like this. Lord Jesus, I recognize that I'm a sinner in desperate need of your forgiveness. Please forgive me of all my sins and become the Lord and Savior of my life. I surrender to you all that I am and all that I have, and I will follow hard after you the remaining days of my one and only life. Those last few words remind us, Lord, that our, our one and only life is fleeting. It's brief. Help us to spend our days busily waiting for you. Not passive, but living as if you might come at any moment, doing those things that would honor you and bring glory to you things that would make a difference in this world for those around us. Thank you for the truth of your word that we have heard today. Help us to remember it and apply it to our lives. In your name we ask, amen.
As we sing this last song, it's a, a time to respond. And it could be that you want to receive Christ as your Lord and Savior. Maybe you just prayed to receive Christ and you want to follow that in baptism. Baptism is the next step for those who have professed their faith in Christ. Maybe you want to be baptized and you're ready to acknowledge your desire for that. It could be that you want to become a part of Westgate. You're not yet a member and you say, this is the kind of place that I would like to be a part of. Our deacons will be standing back at each one of these aisles with their wife, and you can go back there and pray with them or tell them whatever you would like. We also have a communication card that you will find the pew in front of you. If you have something that you'd like to write down, even a prayer request, you can give it to one of them or drop it off in one of the boxes or meet us at the Connection Center out in the atrium after the service. Likewise, I'll be standing at the cross to pray with anybody that would like to have prayer today. Love y'all. Thanks for listening. Let's stand together and sing and worship. Before you leave, out in the atrium, there's a table set up, and it has some bags that the women of Westgate have put together for you to give out to homeless folks. So grab one of the homeless bags, and you can hand them out as you're driving out through our city. God bless you.